My name is Joel. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church. Uh, we're in a series right now called Doors. We're actually wrapping up today, moving into another series called Windows and then Vinyl Siding. Uh, it's going to be great. I'm kidding. Um, but uh, no, I'm wrapping this series up today. As you guys might have noticed, Michael's not here today. He's away preaching at another church up in the Lancaster area, so that's pretty cool for him. And whenever Michael's not here, what the, you guys know what that means, right? We don't have to take offerings, so um, just kidding, kidding. Michael actually reminded me about that. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm excited that you guys are here, however many you are out there behind those lights. I'm excited that you guys are here today. This series has been really good. We've been talking about a lot of different things uh, as far as transition in our life, as far as God opening doors and closing doors and us moving forward in our life and with the plan that God has for us. And so I'm excited that I get to wrap that up today. We're going to go to a passage in a few moments that has really changed my life, and I'll explain a little bit about that uh, in the moments to come, but we want to start off by going to Revelation chapter 3, so if you have a Bible, go there, we're going to read this passage, we'll take a moment after that and pray, and then we'll get into the message. Revelation 3, uh, verse 7 and 8, it says this, this is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David, what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all things you do. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for a chance to dive into your word today, Lord. God, I pray that as we dig in your word, as we look at who you are and who you've revealed yourself to be, Lord, through your word, that we would understand you better, we would know you better, but we would understand the plans for our life better that you've laid out for us, God. God, today I pray that people would feel the boldness of your spirit, Lord, to move forward with the plan that you've laid out for their life, Lord. That they would feel just a power, Lord, from you to move forward, to take on big things, to to take on those big dreams and to maybe let old ones die and pass away, God. Lord, fill me with your words today. I pray that I wouldn't speak anything of just my own opinion, but that your word would come out today and stand true, Lord. We thank you for that. We love you. Be in this place with us today, Jesus. Amen. So I love this passage that we've been reading, Revelation 3. I love this idea of God opening doors for us and closing doors for us. And that we can trust Him to do that. That it's not up to us, that it's not up to just our efforts and our work, but that God is actually in control. That God is actually going before us and He's opening those doors and He's closing those doors and He's helping us move through different seasons of our life. And that's reassuring to me. That That's comforting to me in some ways. Uh, and so as we've been going through this series, Michael did a great job and, and uh, David Brainer did a great job the first Sunday. I've enjoyed this whole thing. Have you guys enjoyed this? For those who have been here, you guys liked it? I have. That's about as much as I'll ask of you. I'm from Newark, Delaware. I know Michael's not, so I understand. We don't really clap and scream and yell man a whole lot. Like, that's just, we're from the East Coast. We're hardcore. We're tough. So it takes a lot to get us going. I remember when I was living in, in Texas, I saw this band that was on tour, and they were from Delaware, right? And everyone in Texas is jumping around and going nuts and, and screaming. I'm like... I'm like this in the corner, like just nodding my head. But I knew every song this band had written, and um, and uh, so I was kind of joking around. After the show, actually during the show, they saw me, and I, I had made a joke. I was kind of heckling them a little bit, and I was trying to see if they would recognize me because I used to see them play around here a lot. And as I was heckling, they're like, "How do you know that?" I said something about one of their old bands, and I was like, "I'm from Delaware." And they were like, we should have known. You're over there in the corner with your arms crossed being tough. That's how everyone from Delaware is. And, uh, and so I think of that every time I preach, and Michael's like, say amen, guys. I'm like, no, we're from Delaware. We don't do that. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, I, I've enjoyed this series. Michael's done a great job. He talked about the moral will of God and the things that God has laid out in the Bible for us to know about him. He talked about the sovereign will of God and the things that God is doing right now on the earth. And, and today as we wrap up, we'll go a little bit different direction, but those things will tie in with what I want to tell you guys. Today we're going to talk about a message, honestly, that I heard about 10 years ago impacted the way I, I view God and the way I read the Bible. Uh, and it was a guy named Erwin McManus. He was preaching out of a passage in the Bible from Matthew 11, and that's the passage we'll go to today. This isn't actually his message uh, verbatim by any means, but when I heard that message 10 years ago, it was called The Barbarian Way, and he read, lo, later wrote a book about it. Um, it. It rocked my world. See, I grew up in the church. I grew up reading the Bible, um, and in some ways, my view of God was wrong. And so at 19 years old, I heard this message, and then later read this book, and God used it to just 
reshape how I viewed him and reshape the way I read scripture. And so my hope today is that as we look at Matthew 11, as we look at this passage, that it would do the same for some of you. That maybe some of you have a wrong view of God or a wrong view of his plan for your life. And that as we dive into this passage, I I pray, I've been praying this week that God would actually use it to change your future. That he would use it to change the course that you're on right now. That's how powerful I think the Bible is. That's how powerful I think God's word is if we understand it rightly. Um, So when I go to this passage, I love it because every time I'm going through transition, I come back to Matthew 11. I come back to this passage. I reread it. Sometimes I've even read that book again about Matthew 11. Not because it's comforting in in the warm, fuzzy sense. Not because when I read it, I go, oh man, everything's going to work out and be great. No, because it reminds me of God's character. It reminds me of who he is. It reminds me that serving God isn't a safe, comforting, civilized thing, but it's an adventurous thing. It's, it's something that's full of risk. It's something that's full of failures and success. And, and, and as I move through my life and experience those, I know that I'm on the path God has for me because I'm experiencing those things. And so today what I'm going to talk to you guys about is, is getting away from this idea of being civilized and safe and comforted. There's this great quote from a great movie called Rocky III. And uh, in that movie, Rocky's going to fight an opponent named Clover Lang. I don't know if you guys have seen this movie. If not, go home today. It's probably on some channel. Um, he's going to fight this opponent, Clover Lang. He's played by Mr. T. And uh, Mr. T, Clover Lang, he, he's a fierce opponent, right? He, he wants it. He wants to win. He has the drive to win. Rocky, however, has, is already the champ. And he's starting to kind of soften up a little bit, right? He has this really nice gym now. He's no longer working out in the meat locker. He's no longer running the streets. He, he's civilized. And, and so Mick, his trainer, who's, who's the best, like Mick's my favorite character from that, that whole series of movies. Mick has this great quote to Rocky because he doesn't want Rocky to fight Clubber Lang because he knows Rocky's going to lose. And he says this, But the worst thing happened that could happen to any fighter. You got civilized. And so today, what I'm calling you guys to as we get into this passage, as we go to Matthew 11, is that we would become uncivilized. And so I want to go to this passage about a man in the Bible who was uncivilized. A man who was willing to risk everything. A man who who sort of graded against the the social and cultural norms because he was following the plan God had for his life. And it looked weird, and and it looked risky, and it didn't always work out for him. But he was on the path God called him to. And so in the end, that is what success looks like, to listen to God's voice. So I want you to go to Matthew 11. We're going to talk about a guy named John the Baptist. So if you haven't heard me say Matthew 11, I'll give you a second to turn there. You got your phones. Just go there. All right, so Matthew 11. We're going to read kind of a long passage here. It's about 19 verses. That's a lot. Uh, It'll take us all of like two minutes. Uh, But um, I believe this passage can change your life. And so listen to these words. I want you to listen to these words as if you're standing in the crowd. Jesus is responding to a question from John the Baptist. I want you to picture yourself there. You've probably, at this point, if you're living in that day and age, you've heard of John the Baptist. You know he was kind of this crazy guy that was in the desert. In this passage, he's in prison and he's sending some of his disciples to ask Jesus a question. And Jesus is responding to that question. So I want you to just picture yourself. If you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. I want you to imagine you're there listening to Jesus answer John's question. And as we look at that question, it's a question for our own life. Starting in verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds, that's us, concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Man, I love this passage. Every time I come back to this passage, it's got a lot in it, but I love it. Because John, if there's ever a guy who went through transition, who went through some pretty drastic, different seasons in his life, it was John the Baptist. He grew up in the home of a priest. At an early age, sometimes as a young man, he moved into the desert. Quite, quite a different life, right? Like you're living, you're a pastor's kid living in a house. You move to the desert. He started wearing camel fur for clothing. That wasn't popular. Like that wasn't normal. He just started doing, he started making his own clothes, right? Uh, and he started eating bugs and honey. That was his diet, uh, the Bible says. So John was like the original hipster, right? Like he's eating all natural organic food and he's making his own clothes and he's living in the desert. Um, it's just a weird guy. Like just weird, right? And, and me and my daughter, we've been kind of binge watching Man vs. Wild on Netflix lately. Like John the Baptist kicks Bear Grylls' butt. Uh, I mean, he's, he's always eating bugs and honey. That's his diet. Uh, Bear Grylls does it for like a half hour on a TV show. and He's got a camera crew there that probably has like Taco Bell or Chick-fil-A behind the cameras, right? Like it, John the Baptist, his normal diet is like go catch some bugs and dip them in honey, uh, which is just weird. And, and that's what he eats. And he wears camel fur. Um, so the next season of his life is he gets arrested and he gets thrown in jail. And that's where we're hearing from him at this point. And if you don't know the story, he's thrown in jail because the king of that day, the king of that region, uh, had stolen his own brother's wife. So the king has a brother. His brother has a wife. The king is like, oh, my brother's wife is attractive. She's hot. He takes her, right? And, and she moves in with him. And they start sleeping together and living together. And John says, hey, that's sin. You're in the wrong. And the king throws him in jail. And I say that just as a side note. Sometimes people want to say, oh, our culture is so bad. And we can't even confront when someone's in sin sexually. They say Christians are mean, this and that. That's been going on since the beginning. This is 2,000 years ago. John says, hey, the way you do sexuality is wrong. The king says, go to jail. Right? Like, that's 2,000 years ago. Um, and so that will always happen. If we proclaim the truth from the Bible about any subject, including sexuality, it will always be viewed by the culture as bad. And people will get annoyed with us. Uh, and so John's now sitting in prison. Eventually, John will get beheaded. Which is really sad. Uh, it's actually even worse. The king, the reason he beheads him is he has this party, birthday party, and his niece, the daughter of the woman he's now sleeping with, his niece comes in and does an erotic dance for him and his guests. And he, he's so pleased with his niece. So if you can just picture how perverted this king is, he's so pleased with this erotic dance that he tells his niece, I'll give you anything you want, up to half my kingdom. And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. See, he'd been scared of killing him up to this point because he thought the people would riot. And so he says, okay. So he kills John the Baptist. And that's where John's life ends. So happy, happy Sunday, true life. I know that's like an exciting way to start this message. But I want to give you guys sort of the setup of who John is and where his life is going. Um, on a lighter note, I find it funny that, that Jesus points out that religious people are never satisfied, right? He says John came fasting and, and not drinking. And he's speaking about alcohol there. And all of you said he has a demon, Right? Uh, and he said, and I come, and I'm eating and enjoying food, and I'm drinking alcohol. Heck, I'm making water into wine. Uh, and, and you say, look, he's an alcoholic, and he eats too much, and he hangs out with those rotten people. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, if you're following Christ, you'll have critics. You'll have people that don't like the way you live your life. Uh, and John and Jesus, I mean, they love God, and their lives look drastically different, and both of them had critics. Some of them were the same critics, the Pharisees. They didn't like either one of them. And so, so you're probably, if you're following Christ, you're going to be in that boat. But back to John uh, and his life. He asked this question, and this is, this is the question we want to talk about today for a little bit. Are you the one, or shall we look for another? Are you the one, and he's speaking of the Messiah. Are you the one, the Savior, the Messiah, or should we look for another? 
Now, I want to ask you guys this. Is this a good question for John to ask about Jesus? This is not a trick question. It is a good question. All right, so if, if maybe it was a trick question. I don't know. It is a good question for John to ask. He should be asking this question. If you're here today and you're not sure about Jesus, if you're not, if you're not following Christ, this is a great question to be asking. You should be asking, Jesus, are you the one that I should be following? Are you the Savior? Are you God? This is a great question. We love questions at True Life. We love when people come through the doors and ask questions like this. We love questions so much that once a year we do a series called questions. questions. Right, some of you guys are here for that. And, and what we do is we just tackle big questions. And we take Sundays through different series, but including that one where we'll just sit up here in some chairs and answer questions. Right? We love questions at True Life. So to me, when I read this, I think, man, this is a great question. Everyone at some point in their life should ask this question. I don't think anyone can read about the life of Jesus, can read through the Bible and understand the Scriptures and not ask this question. If they do, they're cheating themselves. If you can read through Scripture, read the claims that Jesus made, and then walk away, something's wrong. Like you have to, when you read that he's claiming he's the son of God and that he's the only way, truth, and the life, you have to ask that question. Really, are you the one? You're, you're it. Like you're who I should be living my life for. So John asked this question, and I have no problem with John's question. It's a great question that we should all ask. If you're in a transition in your life, it's a great question to ask. I only have a problem with John's timing. And so to, to explain what I mean, I want to look a little bit at what John's life was like up to this point and see if you can, can kind of follow me here on why the timing of this question just doesn't make sense. Okay, we'll go all the way back, way back to when John wasn't born. His mom was named Elizabeth, right? And she's pregnant with John. The Bible uses phrases like great with child, which I think is awesome. Uh, so she's great with child. And... Uh, I think a guy made that up. Like, I'm just imagining some husband made that up. Like, do I look fat? No, you look great with child. Um, and, uh, and so, so anyway, so, so she's great with child. And her, co- her cousin, her relative, Mary, uh, visits. And you've probably heard of Mary. She's the mother of Jesus. She's also great with child at this point. Uh, she has Jesus growing inside of her. And the two women come to meet. And when Mary walks in the room, the scripture says... That the baby inside of Elizabeth, that's John, it says that the baby leapt within her womb. Now, my wife's been pregnant twice, and I felt our baby's kick, punch, I think even a little booty bump. Um, But it says that the baby leapt within the womb. That seems pretty powerful, right? Like, it seems like it probably, I don't know if it hurt or what it felt like, but, um, and I'll never know. uh, But uh, it felt like something. It was a jump, a leaping. And, And so I think, man... John's not even born yet, which, on again, a side note, tangent, whatever. The Bible points out that, that John is John before he's born. And so that's how Scripture feels about babies that aren't born yet. Like, it, John the Baptist isn't born, and he's already responding to the Spirit of God that was growing inside of Mary. It, God, God is already working on John before he's born. And, and so I love that, because when I've seen my wife pregnant, and I've seen our, our children growing inside of her, I love thinking about the fact that God's already working on them at that point. God is already developing the plan for their life. He's a, the, the Bible would say that, that he knit them together in their mother's womb. And, and so John, at this point, he's in that phase, he's being knit together, and, and, and Jesus who's also being knit together inside of Mary, comes in the room, and John, the baby, unborn, the fetus, if you will, he leaps inside of his mother's womb. He responds to that Spirit of God that's dwelling inside the unborn Jesus. And and so very early on, it seems like, wow, well, okay, so he's asking later in life if Jesus is the one, but early in life, it seems like something even like before he was born. Kind of gave that away. Uh, Later in life, let's skip ahead. John is in the desert. And he spends his life proclaiming that Jesus was going to come. That God was about to bring the Messiah to earth. That that God was about to raise up this man who was the Son of God to save people from their sins. To set them free. He spends his life in the desert declaring that. And there's a point where Jesus comes to get baptized. And as he's approaching John, John points to him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Seems pretty confident. 
Seems like he knows who Jesus is at that point. And if that wasn't enough, he baptizes Jesus. And this is how that scene plays out. It says that when he baptizes Jesus, that the skies split open. It's pretty heavy term, like crazy term. The skies split open and the Holy Spirit descends out of heaven in the form of a dove upon Jesus. And a booming voice calls from heaven, This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Right? John in the water. Skies rip open. Bird flying down out of those skies representing the Holy Spirit and a voice calling from heaven. John saw that. I mean, this is like, this is like better than Avatar and the Avengers and everything rolled up into one. This is crazy. Like the skies are ripping open. Uh, and then there's this bird flying down and there's this voice declaring that this is the Son of God. And John's there to witness that. And yet we see him now at this point in his life saying, wait, are you, are you really the one? Now, I've joked about this before when people see angels and things like that and they're like, they're doubtful. This is more than that. This is more than John seeing an angel. He hears the actual voice of God. He sees the heavens tear open. He leapt at the presence of God when he wasn't even born yet. He spent his whole life declaring that Jesus was the one. And when he saw Jesus, he said, here's the one. But John's in a season where he's sitting in jail. His death is inevitable. He knows he's going to die in prison. And in that moment, in that season, in that time, he says, are you the one? And I think that when I, when I understand John's situation, his question starts to make sense. This isn't really the best time that he should be asking this question. He knows Jesus is the one. I don't think that really... I, don't, I think there's more to his question than what, what we see. I don't think he's really just asking, are you the Christ? Because he's been declaring that his whole life and he's seen things that you can't deny after you see them. No, I think there's more to his question. I think when he asks, are you the one? He's, he's asking, are you the one should I put my hope in? The one that I can put my faith in? Because after all we've been through, is this how it's going to end? You're the one, you're the Christ, and I'm going to die in prison? I'm going to rot in this cell. This is how it ends. Are you the one? I spent my whole life serving you and this is it? And I love Jesus' response to his question. If we go back to verse 4, we'll just read a couple verses here. It says this, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's a great great little passage there. However, I think it's funny because if you read verse 2 where it says they were sending, John sent his disciples, it says, John was in prison and he heard of the works or deeds of Christ and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? So John heard of what Jesus was doing, and he says, are you the one? And Jesus responds by telling him what he's doing. He says, well, tell him what you see. Uh, you know, blind, are, blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised. John knew that. That's why he sent his disciples, it says. It, and he had heard all the things Jesus was doing, and so he sent his disciples, and then Jesus says, well, just tell him all the things I'm doing. Like, that just seems crazy to me. Like, that doesn't... If that's how you responded to a question that I was asking you, I would be frustrated. Like, if I was like, hey, I see you jumping around over there. Why are you jumping around? I'm jumping around. Like, that, it, it, that's, that's what Jesus just tells him, what he already knew. But there's this verse that seems a little out of place, a little odd. Verse 6, he says, And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. What's weird to me is there's plenty of points in Jesus' life where he could have said this phrase and it would have made lots of sense. For instance, uh, when the Pharisees talk to him and he says, You brood of vipers! Right? Like he could have prefaced that with, Don't be offended, but you're a brood of vipers. Or when he tells Peter, Get behind me, Satan! He could have said, Don't be offended, but you're acting like the devil. Right? But he doesn't use that phrase in those situations. He uses that phrase when he says, Hey, I'm healing sick people. I'm healing blind people. Deaf people are hearing. I'm raising the dead. And don't get offended. What? Like, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? Who's offended by that stuff? Right? Like, who, who, who is like, Oh, man, I heard Jesus, you know, heal another blind guy. What? 
Are you kidding? This is awful. I am I'm sick of him. You know? Another dead guy back to life. Are you I'm done. I am done with Jesus. I'm walking away. Forget this. But what's what's interesting if you can read into it a little bit, because it is, it just sounds ridiculous. If you read into it a little bit, what Jesus is doing in those few verses there, he's actually quoting one of the Old Testament prophets, a guy named Isaiah. If you read the book of Isaiah, a ton of it is about Jesus. He's prophesying about Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. You got this guy Isaiah, who I mean, some of it just word for word is stuff that Jesus was doing. And uh, this passage in particular really reflects on two things. Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, if you want to read them sometime. But they talk about the things that the Messiah would do when He came. And it includes things like heal the sick, and that the blind would see, and that the deaf would hear, and that the lepers would be cleansed, and the good news would be preached to the poor. But there's one that seems to always pop up in Isaiah whenever he's speaking about what the Messiah would do that's somehow not on Jesus' list. And the one that didn't make the list that Jesus gave to John's disciples was that He would set the prisoners free. That He would set the captives free. That He would release people from their chains. And and I find that interesting that He's quoting Isaiah and He's listing these things that the Messiah was supposed to do, but He leaves one out of the list to a guy who really would have wanted to hear that one. Right? Like if his disciples came back, Jesus said he's going to be setting the prisoners free. Oh, good. Thankfully. This is awesome. I'm going to get out of here. See, Jesus' message, man, it would have been really clear to John. Because John knew the prophets. He knew the Old Testament. He knew all of those books and verses and probably had it memorized. Because that's what they did back then. They didn't have phones and tablets and whatever. So John, that message would have been clear to John. He would have been saying, John, look, I am, I am the one. I'm healing the sick. I'm preaching the good news to the poor. The dead are being raised. I'm the one who's, who's giving, uh, is allowing the deaf to hear. I'm the one who's giving sight to the blind. And I'm the one who, who's going to let you stay in prison. I'm the one who's going to let you die there. It's over for you, John. Like Your journey's done. He, he, it would have been so clear to John as he's hearing that. And I can just picture John hearing this from his disciples and almost asking his boys, like, wait, are you sure you didn't miss one? Like, okay, we got blind seeing and deaf hearing and dead raised and good news preached. Do you say anything about captives? No. Anything about prisoners? No. And it would become clear to John, like, this is it. Like, this is the end of my journey. This is where my life stops. And I think if we're honest today, that many of us can feel like John when we're in those seasons. Maybe not seasons of death or prison, but seasons where we know something's coming to an end. Seasons where we know things are not going to get better right away, and we start asking God, are you really the one? Are you the one because I'm serving you with all my heart, I'm running after you, and it's not working out as planned. It's not going well. Uh, It's not all sunshine and and happy, and everything is struggling and hard. And, And maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've come to Christ and it's gotten worse for you. Maybe it's gotten harder. That doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean that God's not there with you. I remember I had this friend a few years ago and he, and he had been serving Christ faithfully and things just kept going wrong and he turned his back on God and walked away. And I was talking to him and I, and I would check in with him and I'd be like, dude, you've got to come back to Jesus. And we were talking and he would say, and I remember this, this one conversation we had. He said, Joel, when I was serving Jesus, everything was hard. And when I walked away, everything got easier. And I thought, that's what's wrong if we don't understand God, if we don't understand Scripture, is that we think following God is supposed to be easy. That we think being a Christian is supposed to be easy. And then when it's not, we walk away. And so I remember him turning his back on God. And yeah, physically things got better for him. He started making more money. He got a better job. He found a wife. He had a daughter. Like things got better for him. But for years... It went on like that. And I talked to him recently, and, and I, was, I, was, I was overwhelmed. He came back to Jesus recently, like real recently, the past year. And he was just like, dude, I was lost. Like, I, I was lost. Like, I was so messed up. There were so many things wrong in my heart. And he's finally getting that it's bigger than just the physical. It's bigger than just, do I have a good job? Do I have money? Am I healthy? There's something bigger. It's your heart. It's what's eternal. It's what's going to last. 
And I was overwhelmed to hear that he's serving Jesus again. But I think that many of us know people, or maybe you're in that season where you want to walk away from God because it's not easy, because things aren't going well. And that was the season John the Baptist was in. And for many of us, we love, we love talking about the open doors part of this series, right? Like God's going to open doors and you're going to walk through them and things are going to be great. But there's sometimes that God closes doors. And that's in that same passage that we've read every week in Revelation. That there would be doors that God would close. And so I think about my own life. I think about how God has closed doors in my life. And I'll just share a few with you. And I've shared some of these before. And I'll probably share again because it's all I've got so far in life. So I'm sure there'll be more if I preach this message in another five years. But I I think of... um, I think of when I, uh, me and Janelle first got married. We were 22, and uh, and we took jobs at this ministry called Teen Mania, which I love. It's a great ministry. They do mission trips all around the world with teenagers, and I'm always blessed. Every summer, my Facebook and Twitter is just filled with nothing but people posting missionary pictures. There's a village recently that one of my friends said they had never heard the name of Jesus, and, and now there's three Christians in that village. And and uh, I mean, that's like I, I cried when I read that. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like they've never heard the name of Jesus, and now there's three Christians there. That's amazing. Uh, and so I love, love, love this ministry. But we we had taken jobs there when we first got married because again, I love this ministry. And so we we packed all our stuff up into a little. Um, was a U-Haul trailer, right? Which is normal enough, except for that we hooked it to the back of my Saturn. Um, and, uh, and, and no joke, I'd made this trip before, and it should have taken 28 hours. With the max speed I could get on my car, it took us 38 hours. So uh, we were going uphill, like in mountains and stuff in Arizona as we went to Texas, and we had tractor trailers passing us uphill, honking at us, like, what are you doing? Uh, what's wrong with you? And so we, we, you know, 22, we loaded up. We're like, we're going to move here. We're going to change the world. This is going to be awesome. We took this risk, and, and, and we were like, we'll probably be here at least five years, maybe longer, who knows? And 18 months into that journey, 19 months into that journey, something like that, I got fired. I got let go. They, they, were, they were shifting some stuff around and said, you know, we just don't think you're the best fit for this anymore. It wasn't even super spiritual. It wasn't like, oh, we prayed about it. It was just, we're restructuring. You're not the best fit anymore. Have a great life. I was like, oh, what? And, uh, you know, and God closed that door. He closed it. And it wasn't easy. The best part of that was that the next week was Thanksgiving. We already had our tickets booked. We went to California to see Janelle's family. And they're like, so what are you going to do with your life? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to die. That's what I'm going to do. I just moved your daughter across the country and got fired, and now I have nothing. Um, Playing Mario a lot nowadays. I don't know, but God closed that door. It was crystal clear that that door was closed. And And so then we started praying, and we got this idea, what if we moved to Newark and helped start a church of some kind that college students could get involved with. It could maybe even be on the campus eventually. And so we pushed and we worked. And for years we were building a team and trying to get that going. And and we had no idea what we were doing. We were just like trying. We were like, you know what, there's a need. People need Jesus on the campus more than they're getting right now. And uh, and so let's get up there. So it took a while. uh, And there was a lot of bumps and a lot of hurt along the way. But we got up here. And we got this building, uh, you know, where we uh, do growth track now. Or well near there anyway, and um, and we started running this service. And it was me and, and some friends, Brian Schaefer and his wife, and Alex Group and his wife, and a handful of other people. Like literally, probably like five. And uh, and, and so and we started running this service, and we started telling our friends about it. And it was it was up and down. Like there were Sundays where I went home feeling great, and I was like, "This is awesome." And there were lots of Sundays where I didn't. Um, and I remember one in particular. It was it would have been the beginning of 2012. Um, my wife was sick because she was pregnant, and I think Brian's wife was sick or working or something. And, and so me and Brian go to set up, and no one shows up, right? It's just me and Brian. And we're like, no one's coming. <laughs> um, okay. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> like, this is really... Because we're following what God told us to do. Like, we're pursuing the dream he put on our heart. And uh, I'm like, man, what is going on? So we went out for coffee, right? And um, and we saw some kid that used to be involved with what we were doing along the way. And he's like, oh, you guys switched to a Saturday night service. That's cool. I don't know if anyone's going to come to that. And, um, and so it was just this 
sad night for me. And uh, we're, eat, we're drinking coffee. And I remember Brian said this to me, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't write down things that Brian says. But uh, um, <laughs> Brian, Brian said something like this to me uh, when I said, dude, I just feel like we're failing. Like, I feel like this whole thing is blowing up, and I don't know what I'm doing. And, and he said this. Uh, he said, what if God had you move here and plant this church and get us all together just so it could fail? I was like, thanks. That's great. Uh, And then he said, uh, because what if God knew that doing that would get us to the other side of failure? What if there's something better out there? What if he's just making us into better people to prepare us for something even more incredible than we could imagine? Something better than what we're doing right now. And he didn't know that at the time, but what he was saying was prophetic. What he was saying was straight from the Spirit of God. Because within a couple months of that happening, we decided to take a couple weeks and pray about the future of that church. During that time, I, I came to True Life, me and my wife, and we met Michael and Amanda, and we felt welcomed here. We felt like family here. And very quickly, we shut down what we were doing. We assimilated into this church, this culture. Uh, and, and now a year later, a little bit over a year later, it's like, it's awesome. Like, I look at this and I think, oh my gosh. And I know that if those other steps along the way, if trying to plant that church, if trying to do all that stuff hadn't happened, I would not be here today. We wouldn't be in this season. And if I hadn't let God close that door, if I had just pushed and shoved and kicked and screamed and said, don't shut this door, God, I'd still be miserable and depressed and probably have less friends and just be a horrible person. But God closed that door and it was good. And I think even recently, me and my wife, uh, there was some stuff we had been talking about, praying about for our future. Where did we want to live? And, and this and that. And there were some things that we needed to figure out. And while figuring those out, God closed some doors. And He made it very clear, you're to be here in Newark for a long time. And that was good for our hearts. It was good for our souls to know this is where we are. And, and in those past few weeks since then, God has just really awakened more and more love for Newark and for this church and for everything. And so when God closes a door, it's a good thing. And it doesn't always feel like it right away. And I think that that's where we get hung up is that a lot of times we hear phrases like, oh, he closes the door, he opens a window. Yeah, but it might be a while before that window's open. And you might just be in that room for a while trying to figure out what to do next. And that's the experience I've had. I've had sometimes months or longer of just being frustrated. When we were trying to get that church off the ground, that was a couple of years of frustration. Like, what are we doing? What has happened? This has been two years and nothing is good. I'm serious. I'm just being honest with you guys. That's how it is. Um, And that might not sound great. That might not sound fair. You might be like, man, I don't want God closing doors. But the problem is he's going to do what he wants to do. If you don't believe me, Psalms 115, we don't have it up there, but Psalms 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. So if God wants to close a door in your life, if He wants to close out a season, He will. It's just a matter if you'll move on. Too many people, those doors close and they just hang on. And they just keep trying to reopen them. And they don't just move on to the next thing that God's calling them to. For John, Christ was saying, you know what, you are going to die. Like this is the end. But the moment that John died, he would have awoke in heaven in the presence of God. Filled with joy. And he probably wasn't mad. He probably wasn't going, dang it, I really wanted to be in that desert some more, Jesus. I really wanted to eat some more bugs. I really missed that camel fur. Uh, Like, no, he was in heaven in the presence of God. Most joy that he could ever experience. And many of us that are hanging on to things that we should have let go a while ago, it's the same thing. That God has something way better ahead. And if we would just let go, we would get to that place. We would get to that joy. We would get to that adventure that God has on the other side of that failure. See, following Christ, it doesn't release us from death or or unsafety or unsurety by any means, but it, it releases us from the fear of death. And when we're not afraid of death, we can take on anything. Seriously, we could, we could go after any dream, after any cause. We could risk everything because if the worst that could happen is we die and we're not afraid of that, then why not try? Why not, why not risk everything? Why not go after those dreams that God's put on our heart? Why not become a little bit uncivilized? See, I grew up in church, like I said, and I heard a lot of altar calls. And if you grew up in church, maybe you did, did too. And sometimes they got under my skin. Sometimes they annoyed me, the way people would set up these altar calls. You know what? Altar call is even kind of a Christian-y word. So times when we ask people to come to know Jesus um, at the end of service, which we do here every week. But I, I would hear phrases that were trying to like 
just get people to follow Jesus, like so they can get more people to check the card and say, yeah, I'm following Jesus now. Right? And so you'd hear things like, man, just come to Jesus. It's not a hard thing to do. Come to Jesus. He just wants to be your friend. Come to Jesus. He's not going to call you to do something crazy tomorrow. He's not going to say you have to be a missionary in Zimbabwe. He just wants a personal relationship with you. And I always like, it just grated against me. I wanted it like in the back of the church to be like, that's a lie. Right? And I never did. I should have. But um, I started like, that's a lie. Let's, let, what did Jesus say when people were going to follow him? He'd say, oh, you want to follow me? How about you sell everything and follow me? Oh, you want to follow me? You know what that's like? It's like taking up a cross every day. That's right. It's like death. It's like getting crucified. That's what following me is like. That you would forsake everything. You would forsake your own comfort and your own safety and, and your own wants and needs. And you give it all up and you say, God, what do you want? And then you'd follow after that. Jesus never said, hey, follow me. It's going to work out real well for you. Like he never, that wasn't one of his things. When people were following me, he said, oh, you want to follow me? The son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. You can follow me, though. Uh, I mean, that was the call. And that's the call today to us. And I, I think that, that what I heard in these altar calls can be summed up in a, a cliche Christian phrase that I've heard a bunch of times. And it's on bumper stickers and shirts sometimes, things like that, which are awful, right? Like, let's just get, like, let's get that in the open. You know how many people have gotten saved from bumper stickers and T-shirts? It's like somewhere in the range of 0.0 to none. Uh, and so, so this phrase I've seen thrown around my whole life, and it's, and it's this phrase, the safest place to be. Anyone know this one? Is in the center of the will of God, right? Safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. And it's so pretty and it's so comforting. There's only one problem with it, the Bible. Uh, And so uh, I think if that's true, if the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God, well, let's look at the people that were in God's will. Let's look at the people in the Bible and see if their lives were safe. So so if I want to just pick one character, I would go to Paul. Because he's just he's a hero of mine. Like he he planted churches, he started revivals, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Uh, he did all these amazing things. So I have to think he was in God's will, right? I mean, the guy had Jesus show up to him, right? He, he wasn't following Jesus when Jesus was on earth, but he was doing all these evil and, and killing Christians, and Jesus physically showed up to him, you know, on the road to Damascus, and he's like, John, stop doing or Paul, stop doing that. Follow me instead. All right, so so seems to me that Paul's in, in the will of God. Uh, and he has this passage in 2 Corinthians, if we go there, 2 Corinthians 11, where he's summing up his life, his whole life, in his journey of faith, in following Christ. And he says this. We'll see if his life's safe. He says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Not like you guys think. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys. In dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers from false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Wow. So I read that and I think, if the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God, then Paul couldn't have been in God's will. Right? Like, I mean, danger is in there like so many times. I feel like I'm watching, uh, was it Lost in Space, right? Danger, Will Robinson. Like, it's just danger, danger to everywhere I go. Danger. Danger from my own people. Danger from foreigners. Danger from the sea. Danger from the land. Like, everything is dangerous. But we know Paul didn't get wrong. We know that Paul was in the will of God. And it reminds me, I don't know how many of you guys have read or watched uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, I didn't read all of them, so I'm, I'm not that nerdy. Uh, if, if you are, then you got more nerd points than me. But, um, but uh, Chronicles of Narnia, there's this, there's this part of the book where uh, I think it's Lucy is talking to the Beavers. Um, and uh, I don't know if that, is that, that's their name, right? Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And, uh, and Lucy, they're talking about Aslan, the king, who represents God in the story, if you haven't read it or seen it. And, um, and they're describing his character and who he is. And she says, wait, so then, then he isn't a safe king, right? Like she thinks he should be safe. And the Beaver says, says uh, safe, of course he isn't safe. He is good and he is the king. And I think that that's the message so many of us need in our hearts is that God isn't safe. 
but He's good. He's very good. And He is the King. And if we can get that in our hearts, it will change the way we look at life. This isn't a message today on how to. It's not a do step one, two, and three. I just want us to get this truth deep in our hearts that God isn't safe and following Him isn't safe and it never was meant to be safe. It's meant to be adventurous. It's meant to be unknown. We're meant to take risks, to give everything, to go for broke. And sometimes that's going to look awesome and be successful and be great. And sometimes it will be like John the Baptist. And it'll wrap up in pain and and seasons will wrap up in hurt. And God will use that for our good. There's a passage in Romans, I don't have it up there, but it says that He works all things together for the good of those who love Him. And so when you're going through those seasons, know that God is using that for the good of you. He's using that for the good. See, so many of us want to think open doors just means easy or simple, but if we look at the way Paul lived his life... Man, if I had to be honest, like it doesn't even look like Paul had open doors. Like I'll, I'll be really honest. When I read that scripture, when I read about Paul's life, and it says that God will open doors, I just think, really? Like, what doors were open for Paul? Because um, it seems like he was kicking a lot of doors down. Like places he definitely wasn't welcomed. He started riots. He got stoned. He was getting beat. He was getting whipped. He was getting shipwrecked. He was getting thrown in prison. Like, those don't seem like open doors to me, right? And so I have to, like, make sense of it with Scripture. Well, what does open door mean? Well, when I look at the people who follow God, I have to then think, well, opening a door doesn't mean that God makes it easier. It just doesn't. So I think of there's a passage in Acts 21. And I'm throwing Scripture out there that aren't on the board, but just follow me. Acts 21, there's a passage where Paul wants to go to Jerusalem. And he tells the church that he's with that he's going to go. And this guy comes up to him and rips his belt off, right? Like, takes Paul's belt from him, which is uh, I'm glad back then they wore like tunics, not pants, because you know uh, and so he takes Paul's belt and he wraps it around his hands and his feet and, and he like gets on the ground and he, and he says, I have a word from the Lord, the man who owns this belt, which he could have just said Paul, but he said the man who owns this belt will be tied and imprisoned when he gets to Jerusalem, right? To me, closed door. Closed door. Like, if I'm trying to go to Jerusalem and you're like, yeah, when you get there, in prison. Closed door, right? Paul takes his belt back, kind of annoyed, and and he says, why do you go on making me cry like this? I know I'm going to be in prison when I get there. I'm ready to be in prison. I'm ready to die when I get there. Okay, so then the idea of open door is totally different. It's not easy. It's not that, oh, God's going to work everything out and it's going to be easy. Paul's like, yeah, I know. I know I'm going to be in prison and I'm ready to die. Again, to me, that seems like a closed door. So what I want to challenge you on that is, is man, maybe God's calling you to something that looks scary and risky. And, and, and if it doesn't work out, you could fail hard. That doesn't mean that that's a closed door. Paul was ready to die for what he thought God wanted him to do. He knew he was going to be imprisoned, and he did it anyway. And he was imprisoned when he got there. So doors being open doesn't mean that it's easy. Doors being closed doesn't mean that God's necessarily just going to do what we want him to do. Again, like I said, I can't give you a list of what this looks like. Because see, here's the thing with Christianity. We try to make it as practical as possible. We try to give you guys steps and fill in the blanks and and all that stuff. Not today, but um, we we try to give you those kind of things. But in the end, there's a part of Christianity, there's a part of following Jesus that if I could use a word that's going to freak everyone out, uh, it's a little mystical or weird. In that, let me say this. That if you want to know the plan for your life that God has, if you want to know what adventure God has for your life, if you want to know the will of God for your life, you have to know God. And that's the weird part. That's the part that I can't give you how-to steps. You have to know God, like really know Him, really love Him, build a relationship with Him. I think of the movie Braveheart. Hopefully you guys have all seen it. There's a guy in the movie Braveheart... Who claims to speak to God? You guys know who I'm talking about? Everyone thinks he's crazy, right? He's like, I spoke to God, and he said this, and we're supposed to do that. And and every time I see the movie, every you know, everyone in the movie thinks this guy is nuts. But I think, really, that's not too far off from all of us. Like, all of us claim to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, the guy who made everything, the God who created everything. We're like, man, I talk to him. I hang out with Him. I sing songs to Him. 
Some of us, it goes as far as, I feel like God told me this. Yeah, I told you guys, the reason that I moved back to Newark, the reason we tried to start a church, is because we felt on our hearts that God was speaking to us to do those things. That's crazy, right? Like, that makes me a little nuts. I understand that. I'm okay with that. And I'm willing to tell people that don't even know Jesus that. I've had those conversations with friends and, and, and co-workers and things like that where I'm like, oh, why'd you do that? I felt like God told me to. And you can see their face like, oh, good. Good for you. All right. Let's not hang out anymore. Um, no, but that's the, that's the part of it. That, that Some of you guys are in seasons where you're trying to figure out, man, what doors are open, what doors are closed. And I would just encourage you, right now, start thinking, it's not whatever's easiest. That's not necessarily open door. I'm not saying it couldn't be. It could. But that's not a sign that it's, it's the will of God, just because it's easy, right? And just because it's hard, it's not a sign that you should give up or that you should stop. This is the part where I have to say, you need to spend time with Jesus. You need to pursue Jesus. You need to let God work on your heart. You need to let God reveal His character to you every day. You need to jump in His Word. You need to spend time in prayer. Not because those are a to-do list. Just because those are opportunities for you to get around God. And the more you get around God, the more you'll know Him. The more time I spend with my wife, the more I know her. Even seven years into marriage, something will come out that I didn't really know about her. I didn't really understand about her. It's not a to-do list. It just happens because we have a relationship. If you spend time with God, you'll know Him. And you'll know His will for your life as you do that. But if you never spend time with Him, you're never seeking Him, and then you hit that season that's hard, it's going to be tough to discern His will. So now, today, start now seeking Him, knowing Him. My prayer today is that like John the Baptist, that we would become uncivilized, that we would leave behind cultural norms, that we would find that way out of civilization, that we would be people that are abnormal, that we would be people that aren't necessarily like all of those around us, that we would be like John the Baptist. Because the future is uncertain. It's there to be created. It's there to be created with you and God in concert, stepping forward together, Him leading you along, you following behind, you pursuing and seeking what His will is, and then doing it. I believe there's huge things that our church is supposed to accomplish. I believe there's huge things that you guys are supposed to accomplish. Amazing things, like things that I couldn't even dream up. There's a passage in the Old Testament where God says that He would do things that we couldn't even imagine. And in Ephesians, it says that God is the God who does more than we could ask or think or dream. And I believe that for our church. I believe that for you guys. But it's, it's all about risk. It's that we have to step out there and do it. We have to have that kind of faith that we could go out and do it. And the band's going to come and we're going to wrap up. I want to tell you guys one more story about, about a group of guys that were uncivilized. A group of guys who risked it all. And it wasn't safe. I watched this movie recently. If you uh, have time to watch it, it's a great movie called End of the Spear. And it came out a, a, a five, six years ago, seven years ago, something like that. And it's about uh, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. And, and these guys, they went to be missionaries uh, in Ecuador. And man, they, they had such a passion and a burn for God. They wanted this tribe to know Jesus that had never heard of Jesus. Like I was saying earlier about my friends that went on missions trips, and, and now there's three Christians. They wanted to go to a tribe that had never heard of Jesus. And so they planned and they prepared and they, they came up with all, all of these plans. And, and then what they started doing is flying their plane and circling over this tribe so that they would get used to seeing their plane, get used to seeing them. They would drop supplies off and, and, and they, would, they were trying to build a distant sort of relationship with this tribe before they arrived. Um, and then eventually the time came where they, they, could, uh, they, they wanted to go and meet the tribe. They wanted to go and finally share Christ. And they didn't know a ton of the language. They knew some. And they showed up on, on the beach. Uh, and they went to talk to this tribe. And very quickly, as they went, the tribe came out and killed all of them. Like all, there was five guys that killed them all uh, on the beach there. At least in the movie it was on the beach. I don't know. But in real life, they, they killed these guys. Um, and man, I was watching this movie portrayal of it this week, and it just had me in tears because these guys were ready to die. There was conversations with their children. One of them, the, ch- the child said, if they attack you, you know, use your guns. And they said, we can't. Because see, we're ready to know Jesus, and they're not. And so if they attack us, 
it's over for us. But we're going to go and we're going to share the love of Jesus. We're going to share the gospel with them. And they were ready to risk it. And I just was challenged. Is that where my faith is at? That if God called me to do something risky that might cost my life, that might cost my comfort, that might cost my money, that might cost my time, would I be willing to risk it or would I be holding on to it and trying to make sense of it myself? And in the end they died, but... The good part of that story is that what happened in the years to come was their wives and their children and some people they knew went back into that same tribe and began to share the love of Jesus. And the tribe was amazed that they weren't coming back for revenge, but they were coming back just to continue to talk about this God that those other guys showed up to talk about. And over time, that tribe came to know Jesus. And they love Jesus today. And they're serving Jesus today. And you can picture as they begin to get old and begin to die, that they'll enter heaven and they'll see those guys that they killed there and they'll spend eternity worshiping Jesus with them. And, and while did those guys have to die, I don't know, but part of the testimony, part of the reason those, those tribe ended up coming to Jesus is because they were so amazed that the family wasn't coming back for revenge. They were so blown away by that. So God's plan is not safe. It is scary. It is adventurous. But it's worth it. It's good. Because God is good. And I think of this quote from Jim Elliott, one of the missionaries that that died that day. He said this during his life. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's been burning in me all this week. All my money, all my material possessions, my health, all of that stuff I will lose. I will. It's guaranteed. Only thing in life guaranteed is that we'll all die at some point. So everything I own and everything I have is going to be gone. I'm going to lose it. The only thing that will last is relationship with Jesus Christ. The only thing that will last is souls. It's people coming to know Jesus. So I have to be willing to risk everything to see more people come to know Jesus. So we're going to take a minute here and pray. Um, you guys can close your head or close your eyes. Close your head. Do it. Close it all up. Um, we're going to take a moment here. And I talked for a minute uh, about how knowing God, it, 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 it's a mystical, weird thing. Because we believe we have a relationship with the Creator of the universe. And maybe you're here today and that hasn't started yet for you. Maybe you don't know Jesus, if you're honest. Maybe you've come to church for a while. Maybe you even grew up in church. But you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You you just don't. Maybe you used to. I don't know. Maybe you just never did. If today you want to start that. If today you want to join this adventure. With those of us who are already going. You want to hop on board. You want to pursue Christ. You want to know Jesus. I want you to raise your hand. Is there anyone here Alright, we're going to pray a simple prayer. And I want everyone here, True Life, you know how we do this. I want everyone here to pray this prayer. Because there's people here today, again, that have raised their hand. And I'm so excited. Because that means people are going to know Jesus today for the first time. That they're going to start this adventure with us. So say this with me. Dear Jesus, today, I follow you. Lord, close the doors that need to be closed. And open the doors that need to be opened. I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse my heart. Make me new. I love you, God. Amen. Are you guys can stand? I just want to take a minute and pray over you guys. Actually, just for one second, keep your eyes closed for one one second. I just want to know if this message resonated with you. If you feel like, man, there's some risks that I'm not taking that I need to be taking, or some seasons that need to close and be gone that I'm not letting God close. If you're in in one of those, if you just raise your hand, I just want to pray for you. If you feel like there's some risks. Man, there's like a lot of people here. So let, let's pray. I'm there with you guys. God, this message, like I said, I heard it 10 years ago, this passage preached. And, and God continues to use it to refine my heart. He continues to just 
burn away at me with it. And so I am with you guys. I am no, I'm not, I don't even consider myself ahead of you. I'm right there. God is working on me. There's risks that God has pointed out to me even this week that I need to take. So let's pray. Let's make this a prayer. Let's just, you, just in your own words, start to pray. I'm going to pray for you. The band's going to play. And we're going to get back into worship here at the end for just a moment. Jesus, we thank you. We love you, God. You're so good. God, I thank you that you're not safe. I thank you that you are good. Lord, that you're always good. You're forever good in every way possible, Lord. That you're always concerned with our good, God. But that you're not concerned with safety and comfort and just having a good life. Lord, but that you're concerned with us knowing you. You're concerned with our hearts being right with you. You're concerned with our eternal destiny, Lord. God, that you don't want us for just a day. You don't want us to be happy happy for a moment or for a week or or for this life, Lord, but you want us to be full of joy forever, God. And so, Lord, today I pray that people would step out into the unknown, God, would step out into those risks, would step out, Lord, into doing things that no one could have imagined, Lord. Lord, that we would see this world changed because of the risks that you allow us to take for you, God. Lord, that we would see Newark transformed, By the love of God, Lord, because of the way we live our life for you. God, empower people today. Fill people up with your power to do the unthinkable, to do the unknowable. God, lead us out of civilization. Lead us out of comfort. Lead us out of safety, God. Let us be a church, a people, a family that risk it all for your love. That risk it all to see more people know you, Jesus. God, we thank you. We love you. You're so good to us, God. Be with your people today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.